come to all places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, the pastor of All Places Together and your podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. I've got a question for you. There are Lutherans in Suriname? As you, I hope you know, February is Black History Month, and today at All Places Together, we've got a special guest with us to share her stories about a trip that she took last year and the impact that it had on her. Today at All Places Together, I'm so excited to welcome the Reverend Kelsey Brown, who uses she, her pronouns. Pastor Kelsey is the pastor of Jehu's Table in Brooklyn, New York. She describes herself as sometimes funny, frequently anxious, and completely committed to the liberation of all marginalized persons. Hailing from Suffolk County, Long Island, New York, she comes equipped with the accent and attitude to back it up. Kelsey has a history degree from Wagner College and a master's in divinity from the United Lutheran Seminary. She has served at a camping ministry in New Jersey. She's worked for the Metro New York Synod and has completed her internship in Southern California. In her free time, Pastor Kelsey can be found at the beach with a book of spoken word poetry, breaking it down on the dance floor and exploring Christian ritual creation. She believes with her full heart that God's delight in diversity is a call for all of us to embrace the fullness of humanity. While racial justice and LGBTQ plus advocacy work fuel her fire, deep friendships, her puppy, fiance, and long naps quench her thirst. She can often be seen in her natural habitat quoting show tunes doubled over in laughter and challenging others to do the work. Welcome to All Places Together, Pastor Kelsey. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. It is um, a joy and a privilege to get to see your face today and to talk a little bit about the content that we're going to share with everyone. So last year, you went on a big trip. You had the opportunity to travel to Suriname with a group of Black Lutheran women pastors. Now, I have to be honest, before seeing the TikToks about your trip, I think this is a place I'd probably only ever heard of when I had to do, like, geography quizzes in high school. (laughs) So can we start with you telling us first where Suriname is and then share some about how this incredible trip came to be? Yeah, of course. I would love to. So before this trip, I also had no idea where Suriname was. Uh, but it is nestled right at the top of South America, sandwiched in between Guyana and French Guyana. And uh, it is above Brazil. So it is South American. um, But for Lutherans in our own context, we might group it in with our siblings in the Caribbean. There is a lot of Caribbean influence in uh, the culture of Suriname, which I look forward to talking a little bit more about. Excellent. So now we can start to imagine where that is on the map. Also, there's no shame in pausing the episode if you want to like look it up on a Google map. <laughs> I agree. I love it. How did you get this opportunity uh, to go there? How did this trip come together? So 
during mission developer training in Chicago, I had a conversation with Reverend Nicolette Penaranda at the African desk of the ELCA. And she was telling me a little bit about her time visiting the Lutheran churches in the Caribbean, particularly in St. Thomas and St. John. And I was incredibly interested to hear a little bit more about African descent ministries of the Lutheran faith, particularly some old, old churches. As a historian um, and someone who is really passionate about Black liberation, particularly in the Lutheran context, I wanted to know more. And she told me that she was interested in charting a trip to Suriname. Um, for their 280th celebration of the Lutheran Church in Suriname. Wow. The conversation ended, and I thought that that would be all that it was, uh, until a couple of weeks after she reached out to me and said, great, I've got the funding. The church in Suriname is ready to welcome us. These are the events that they're having for their anniversary celebration. Will you go? Wow, what an invitation. <laughs> That's amazing to go from like a yeah. conversation to like, hey, here it is. <laughs> and that's really what it was. The trip kind of came together really organically. The churches, the Lutheran churches in Suriname were so excited to welcome us that they did all of their on the ground planning to make sure that we got there safely. And we were welcomed with open arms, a group of Black women from the ELCA, all the way to Suriname, two flights, one to Miami and one to Suriname. There are no direct flights um, to various parts of the country from Suriname, except for Miami. So we all boarded our separate flights and linked up in Florida, and then made our journey to Paramaribo. Uh, in a word, the trip was altering. It altered something in my ministry. It altered something in my brain. <laughs> um, it altered something in my experience with the divine. And I'm really, really excited to share a bit about this journey with you today. Wow, that's so powerful. The level of, I mean, I guess alteration like that you went through, like mind, body, and soul through that. And so I just, I so appreciate your your willingness to share the story here. So you shared with me earlier in our planning conversation about how the United States and Suriname share some similar history, but yet the present realities are so different. And I think it's going to be really important for our listeners to kind of understand those similarities and differences to be able to uh, kind of put in context the experience that you had. So can you share that with our listening community? Of course. So uh, as I mentioned, Suriname is in South America. And when people hear South America, they typically imagine um, a Spanish-speaking country. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Although we know that uh, location does not always dictate the languages spoken in a particular place. When I told my mom that I was going to Suriname, my very American 
little baby mom, uh, she said, oh my gosh, but you don't speak Spanish. How are you going to go there? How are you going to know what's happening if you don't speak Spanish? Little did she know that the uh, spoken language, the national language, the learned language in Suriname is Dutch. Is Dutch. I never would have guessed that. Like maybe Portuguese, like if it's close to Brazil, but Dutch. Exactly. Yeah. So my mom is actually half Irish and half Dutch. So she got a great chuckle out of, well, you don't speak Spanish. And I said, we also don't speak Dutch. But yes, <laughs> I am still going to certain. No. Like we're going to figure this out. <laughs> we're going to figure it out. And we did. We really, really did. So Suriname was a colonized nation, colonized by the Dutch. There were a couple of infightings that happened to uh, for the for the Dutch to get power in Suriname. But uh, similarly to our United States context, Suriname had resources that needed to be mined and cultivated and exported um, due to its hot and kind of sticky, wet climate. Sugar and natural resources were prevalent in Suriname, and they needed Black Africans and also um, native Surinamese folks to mine these resources. So Suriname has a history of slavery, of indentured servitude, particularly for Black Africans, but also for um, Asian folks who came over from the continent of Asia um, via the Dutch to work these fields and to provide these resources for exportation. So a little a little sticky. There are yeah. lots of plantations still in Suriname. There is um, no hiding behind the fact that slave labor was prevalent and high, that native communities were exploited um, at the hands of the Dutch government for these resources. So that's what I mean when I say that there are similarities to the United States context when we talk about um, colonization and slavery. However, what makes Suriname such a different experience as it relates to its sordid past and history is that there's no hiding those mm. facts. There's no hush-hush, keep it quiet. Um, we had the opportunity to interact with many of the youth and young adults in the Lutheran Church in Suriname and one of the things that they remarked on were the prevalence of still native communities in Suriname, communities that remained untouched by the pains of colonialism or were able to maintain their native history so closely that they continue to um remain in tribal communities doing the same rituals and experiences wow. that their native ancestors would have done. And they take pride 
in those communities. They're not less than or cast aside. They are part of the mosaic that makes Suriname, Suriname. As you share that, I, like, in my heart, like, there's the deep lament for the indigenous people of the United States for whom that is not the case. And so much of their of their culture and history and ritual has been lost. So like holding in tension the lament for the people of the place that I call home. Also, then, I guess, with like the joy and the beauty and the wonder that that's not the story everywhere. Yeah. And I think you're spot on in that. This was the first experience that I have had where that is not the overarching narrative of stolen people and stolen histories that are erased or cast aside or seen them as less than. And um, there is something really beautiful about the way in which Surinamese culture exists. I wish that I could kind of zoom you into just a street view of Paramaribo during the day and the eclectic, bustling atmosphere that it kind of presents. Now, I'm a native New Yorker, and I live in New York, and I work in New York, and I'm a pastor in New York. I know a whole lot about bustling cities and melting pot atmospheres, but when I was taught about the melting pot as an elementary schooler, I don't think I fully realized that the melting pot is about immersion. It's about the commonality. What I love so deeply about the structure in Suriname is that there is space for individual identities to take up space and to move around. I was in awe of the commonality shared by the Surinamese people in their identity as people from Suriname and not just Black or white, Christian or Hindu. There is a deep love for what Suriname is, was, and will be that you can feel from the people. And it feels really life-giving. Yeah, even the... I noticed like a shift in the metaphor, or, or you, I noticed that you used two different metaphors. Earlier, you called Suriname a mosaic and then talked about, you know, what children of the 90s and early 2000s, you know, learned about the U.S. being the melting pot and just the differences um, in those two images that in a mosaic, like you have distinct pieces that like keep their color and keep their shape and then like the grout and how they're placed together, like give you a bigger image. But in a melting pot, like it's all good together or in the history of the United States, like whitewashed in a way that uh, isn't, isn't good. (laughs) Like, isn't, isn't healthy really either. Yeah. I I was just going to share that there was a, an experience that we had doing a tour 
uh, one day of just Parmaribo, the kind of center city of Suriname, that uh, there were a Hindu temple, a mosque, and a synagogue kind of in a row, just all next to each other um, (sighs) in the city. And I asked a little bit, like, is there a national church of Suriname? Like, what would you say the national religion is? And one of the women who was on our tour with us from the church said, no, there's there's not really a national religion. Um, our president is Hindu, but he doesn't enforce that all people are Hindu. He just knows that he is Hindu and he makes space for uh, everyone else to practice their deities the way that they would practice. Um, And then she turned and said, is there a national religion in the United States? And I paused. (laughs) And I said, no, but they, meaning the wider they, they would tell you it's Christianity. Yeah. And And a particular type of Christianity, too. But continue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and she was really shocked to hear that. But it's true. And it's interesting when presented with another option. When presented with in your face, what a pluralistic. Commonality of like you're good to do what you're doing over there and I'm going to do what I'm doing over here. The way that that is lived out in community in Suriname feels different than the way that that is lived out in the United States of America, even for those of us who do honor and make space for the way that each person in the world is going to experience the divine. It feels different in our context than it did there. And it's something that I will continue to reflect on for quite a long time. I don't think I'll ever stop asking why when it comes to that particular notion of national religion yeah the why and then also the like how it got to be each of the ways in the different places and how it could be different in the future too like so many questions exactly so what was it like to be there then like what to be in this in this place that is similar and different and beautiful, it sounds like, what was that like for you? Um, I shared this with you and I've tried to kind of share it with other people in my life. And it's an experience that is really difficult to put words behind, but I'll try for all intents and purposes Yeah, uh, for all places together to put it, to put it together. But I've never lived, in a place or been in a place with so many people that looked like me before. For those who are only listening and haven't seen your photo yet, can you describe what that means in particular to have have people look like you? Oh, I would love to. Um, So 
I am a person of color. I identify as black, but my father is black and my mother is Irish and Dutch. So uh, by our context, I would be biracial. Um, I am a person in a larger body. I use the descriptor fat to describe myself. Um, I have dark skin. It is tanned. Um, but it is not as melanated as some of the beautiful melanated siblings, uh, of the diaspora. I have lots of tattoos, which I will say not a lot of tattooing going on in Suriname. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I have dark hair and dark features and I looked at people for the first time that genuinely looked like me mm. like facially spiritual spiritually like i know that sounds so intense and like woohoo but no, i'm I here for it. it like i'm feeling what you're saying kelsey yeah I'm, I'm with you there was a little girl who was there and luckily i have known pastor nicolette since we were children and we both saw this little girl at the the field day celebration that we had with the folks um, of the Lutheran church in Suriname prior to the anniversary. And she said, that looks like you. Aww. Like that looks like your childhood photo. I love it. Like, like you, like as if you hit copy and paste. And I live in a very racially diverse borough of New York City. I grew up on Long Island in a reasonably diverse neighborhood and area. I come from a huge family, so I've seen what my family looks like, what beautiful black and brown people look like, and the features that I've inherited from my beautiful mother, like my tiny, tiny eyes and my very big chin Aww. and my very, very spotted freckles. But I don't think I've ever looked out at a sea of people and seen the diversity that is the African diaspora before going to Suriname. And it changed me. It showed me what I've been calling free blackness looks like. What being black looks like without the disenfranchisement, without the fear and the trepidation and the history of Jim Crow and the sting of police brutality and the the horror of mass incarceration like i think looking at free blackness for the first time did something to my brain because like we talked about for our indigenous siblings who might see what a preservation of culture looks like without 
residential schools and mass killings and smallpox and colonialism. This is what Blackness looks like when slavery ends and indentured servitude ends and life begins. And that was wild. In listening to you share in your own words the way that enslavement has continued in the United States in all of these different ways, and then hearing the parallel of in other in another place, in and in the real world, in another place, slavery ended. And over the course of those generations, from when slavery ended to today, a type of liberation and freedom and creativity and like celebration of of true diversity has been able to happen in a place. I marvel at that and give thanks for that. And then at the same time, lament what is in the United States that I think for for many white people, like not having for them the parallel in the United States where that hasn't happened. And for generations, these hardships have continued. These various types of enslavement have continued. And we end up in such a different place and the loss and the lament that comes with that. And for like for some reason, um, like the story of Black Panther, the Marvel movie is coming to mind. And in the way I think that often I think that is that story gets lifted up of like this place in Africa that is untouched by the colonizers and the and the beauty that that is from this culture. But here I feel like in these stories of what I'm learning about Suriname, like Though there are stories of the hardship and the enslavement that happened, like a different type of healing or a different type of story can be told, and it's real. Yeah, I think that one of the common joys that I feel as a Lutheran is stepping into Lutheran spaces and the shared language that we have there because of the liturgy. I can go into any Lutheran church, ELCA perhaps, on a Sunday morning and follow the ordo and know what's going on. And although I do not speak Dutch, one of the things that I greatly enjoyed in Suriname was getting to go to many worshiping opportunities and knowing what was going on, I think that there is a story that is being told in Suriname that does something for us, tells us something. And I love that you brought up Black Panther because I was incredibly moved by the first film. And while we were in Suriname, the second film came out and we had the opportunity to go with the youth to see the second Black Panther film in Suriname. Oh, wow. And it felt different to see it there and then of course I came home and saw it 
in New York, just me and my partner hanging out at the movie theater, and it was still just as good. But there was so many tears and out like laughing out loud in the movie theater in Suriname about some of the things. And maybe it's the people we were with, and maybe it's the joy that was in this in the space, but I do think that there are ways to marvel at what untouched community looks like. And that's not to say that there should be, and I don't believe that there should be segregated spaces, right? Like I fully believe in the integration of all people to live among all people. That's what I say. And that's what I mean when I talk about God's delight in diversity. But I also think that there are affinity groups and there are spaces to come together with shared commonalities to have time apart, to be in community with other Black and Brown people, separate from the gaze of white folks or separate from the questions that come up when someone is looking from the inside out as opposed to being from the the innermost circle, right? And um, I think that there is a deep joy in those opportunities and that this trip to Suriname was just one glimpse that I will take with me and that I hope to bring folks to experience. I will also say, and this is something that is important, and I think it's important because it's important to the folks of Suriname. Um, Suriname is a country that lives in deep poverty, with deep hunger, with deep disenfranchisement, there is still a level of scarcity in Suriname for many of its residents that feels very different than perhaps some of the scarcity that I see on the streets of my beloved city. And we had the opportunity whilst in Suriname to partner with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Suriname to feed the hungry. And I if I could just for a moment share with you this opportunity. So the church goes together in a van twice a week, not only twice a week, but twice a day in this bi-weekly opportunity or, or multiple day opportunity. So in the morning, the, the van picked us up at the hotel and in the bus with us, they had fresh loaves of bread from a local bakery. And they said, okay, we're going to drive around and we're going to drop off breakfast. And it's these loaves of bread and water. And we went to the center of these townships and the people started flocking to the van because they knew when they They saw the van and they saw who was driving it, that they knew that it was the church. So they would come by and we would hand them 
their loaf of bread and their water. And they would take, and they were so gracious and um, they were anticipating it. They were excited because they knew, oh, it's time for breakfast and the church is bringing breakfast this morning. Folks that were sleeping on the uh, alongside the streets, their friends would wake them to come and get the bread. So they'd come in and they'd get the bread and then we would say to them, we'll be back in the afternoon. So once all the bread had been given out and we had we had driven to some of these hub locations, we went back to one of the aunties' houses and we helped prepare and box up the, the hot lunch. Rice and meat and vegetables into these prepackaged containers with stickers of the Lutheran seal on them. And we packaged all of these up and then it was time to go and deliver lunch. And we made the same route uh, to go back for lunch while other people from our group went into different townships to go and provide lunch to those communities Um and the same folks came and they came and they got their lunch and they went and got their friends who needed lunch. And our car stopped for quite a while and I was able to be the person to hand out the food. And it's it's gut-wrenching. It's difficult to know that that level of hunger exists in the world, especially in a world like ours where no one should be hungry where there is more than enough. But to see this church in a place like Suriname, who does not stray away from their realities as it relates to poverty and hunger, to say this is our commitment to our people, not just the people that go to church at Martin Luther Church on Sunday mornings or at Grace Church on Sunday afternoons, but to the people of Suriname that we know them and they know us by name and they come running when they see us because we take care of each other. And I know that I speak for the other women in our group. We had some deep tears after this day of serving in Suriname. And we all came back to our hotel and had some time for reflection. And then we took very long, much needed naps because mm. it's emotional to hold people and to hold space for people and to see what gracious hosts we were given by the Lutheran Church in Suriname to share this opportunity and this experience with us. It was wild. And I know today's Thursday, they're out there feeding this morning. And that makes my heart very, very happy. Oh, yeah. To know at this moment, they're doing the same thing. That's so beautiful. And just such a strong biblical image, too, of the way that Jesus fed people and also calls us to feed people. I just have, you know, the parallel image of Jesus multiplying the bread and giving it to all who are hungry and how 
you all together with their church there, like embodied that and lived that out in that time and place to really be Christ in Suriname. Yeah. So this is um, a little lighter of a question, but you mentioned that the sticker of the church seal went on all of these boxes. And in my research uh, for today, I've found their Facebook page and seen the seal. Kelsey, why is there a swan on the uh, church seal of the Lutheran Church in Suriname? So there are swans all throughout Suriname. And I was so confused at first, mostly because there were statues and photos and seals and monuments and uh columns outside of doors that were adorned with swans. And at first I thought, oh, a swan is a Hindu symbol. So great, maybe some of these houses have swans there because they are Hindus and they are putting their swans out. Very beautiful. Until I was uh, being nosy and able to have a conversation with one of the pastors at Martin Luther Church. And he told me, now, I I am not German. We have heard in this chit-chat today that I am Black and I am Dutch and I am Irish. Those are the things. Those yeah. are my lanes and I'm sticking to them. However, um, the Lutheran Church frequently holds up Martin Luther as kind of our father of Lutheranism, which is neither here nor there. Martin Luther, like us all, was a complicated man. However, Super complicated. Yeah, we talked. We actually just <laughs> talked about that on the episode that came out before this. So we are primed oh, great. to know how complicated Good. Martin Luther is. Yeah. <laughs> so there was also many other German theologians of Luther's time who were writing and having conversations about the church. One of them was John Hoss probably named Jan with a J, but we're not going to go there. Again, I am not German. However, when Jan Hoss was tried for heresy by the church and sentenced to death, he was sentenced to burn at the stake. As they were preparing him for this death, and getting ready to light the fire, he said, and this is, I, I am a historian, but I have not looked this up. I, I am just quoting what has been told to me, that he said to the people, today you are, oh, hold on, a small aside. Apparently in German, someone can fact check me on this. Again, it's not me. Um, Hoss means goose in German. Okay. Great. So he said to the people, today you are burning a goose, but I will come back as a swan. Oh, wow. And he was burned at the stake. And now there is this sort of resurrection image in the swan. There's this standing firm and steadfast in your faith that I think is embodied in this swan narrative. Um, and it is yeah. everywhere. And it's something that I will take with me. I think the story, whether it's true or false, um, 
is a piece of liberation that means something to me. And as a liberation theologian, someone who believes in the breaking of chains and that that is what Jesus does for us in his own resurrection and Mm -hmm. his own death, that there is something really beautiful about coming back as a swan from the ashes, similar to that of a phoenix. And I'm, I'm into that imagery. That imagery can do a lot for me. Yeah, I love, I love a good phoenix story, uh, truth be told. It's me one too. of the things of my sorority that I don't think we talk about enough. So, like, as you're talking about the swan story, I was like, oh, yeah, like a phoenix. I am here for this. Oh, that is so funny. That's just so beautiful. So now we know when we see swans that it is a resurrection image. Um, and that I love that a we Lutheran can help. Swan. A Lutheran swan. Who knew? So as you're sharing, you know, about uh, Lutheran's roots in Germany, um, I am a multi-generational Lutheran whose Lutheranness comes through my German heritage. It was like passed down on that side of the family. Um, And you've shared with me that you're a multi-generational Lutheran as well. And that's what you saw in Suriname. And so I'm wondering, can you share from your perspective what some of the blessing that comes from your experience of being a multi-generational Lutheran? Yeah, I would love to. I think that in in the church i have frequently been asked the question in any lutheran space that i step into well when did you become a lutheran yeah when did you become one and people are always shocked and surprised when i say i w- i was born a lutheran i i just just so happened to be born into a family that was doing the lutheran thing Uh, And they're always very shocked. And I think it's because in our society and in the church, we have conflated heritage Mm -hmm. with identity. My identity as a Lutheran has nothing to do with Germanic heritage, Germanic ancestry. Uh, In fact, my parent that was a Lutheran, uh, is my dad, who is a person of the African diaspora, the descendant of American slaves from the South. Um, I think that my family found a great liberation, joy, and grace in the Lutheran church and decided to stick around. Similarly, to many Germanic Lutherans that I have encountered and met, their families found the good news in the Lutheran tradition and decided to stick around. Uh, our identity as Lutherans doesn't have to be tied to our family of origin to be real or valid. And one of the things that I loved most in Suriname is these little old ladies who look like what I imagine my great-great-grandmothers to look like with their brood of Lutheran, Dutch-speaking, dark-skinned children raising the next generation of Lutherans in Suriname who take pride 
in the grace and peace of our Lord in the same way that those in the United States, in the Midwest, in the German little tiny parts of Pennsylvania where they're still having German services on Sunday uh, have pride in their raising of future Lutherans. It makes me chuckle. It's just such a like light and a joy is I would much rather have the Lutheran church be one full of grace and peace and mercy and the things that I have found as steadying pieces of my faith in Lutheranism than I would have Lutefisk and (laughs) potato salad and jello molds. Although I do fancy a jello mold. You can ask anyone. Uh, I like them too. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather the, the Lutheran pieces than the food pieces. Yeah. Or the Lutheran pieces than the like, very, very white, very, very non-diverse pieces. I promise there's room for all people. Yeah. And like, and that the, that it's the faith and the shared belief and the experience of grace is what ties us together and identifies us as Lutheran. And then when we have a potluck, let's have all of the food from all of the places. Like that is the potluck I want to be at. Exactly. Come to come to Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Windanch, New York, my childhood congregation, and you will get a soul food meal. Someone will make a lasagna. There could be an empanada or an arepa of sorts, and we are all going to eat it in our very small Lutheran Church basement, just like you're doing in Duluth. You know what I mean? I like do. we're all we're all doing it. Oh, we're brushing up against lunchtime, and that is making me hungry. I love it. <laughs> oh, so true. And so I love to hear the joy that comes from um, everything that you just said. But even as you were beginning your answer here, like you alluded to and, and started speaking to some of the shadow side of that, right? That there's... um. When we think of multi-generational Lutheranism, like people often assume that that means that you're white and that there's an assumption that BIPOC Lutherans aren't or can't be uh, multi-generational. And so I wonder, as you're comfortable, can you share some of the harm that this assumption causes? Yeah, I don't think that there's any gold medal for like, who's Lutheran enough? I think that our church has perpetuated many stereotypes of like, this is what a Lutheran looks like, that erases the fact that the Lutheran church in Suriname has existed for 280 years. That's a lot longer than I've been alive. That's a lot longer than the people in my family who are still living on the earth have been alive. If they've been doing this Lutheran thing in their context for that long, there has to be something more than cultural identifiers and like made up levels of Lutheranism in our church. And I think we do a disservice when we try to quantify 
who is in our club and who's not. There's no club. Jesus didn't come to just save the Lutherans. Yes. Jesus came to be Jesus for all people. Period. All people. If Jesus came to be Jesus for the people that I like the least in this world, I promise that Jesus came for more than just white people. I promise that Jesus came more for people who are doing it wrong than who are doing it right. And who gets to decide who's doing it right or wrong anyway? Yeah, not me either. That's for sure. That shouldn't that in fact that really shouldn't be me. So yeah. At all. <laughs> At <laughs> like all. it should definitely not be me either. So now that you've been home for a while and you've had some more time to reflect on your trip, what sparks of hope did you receive and how are you still carrying those with you today? Uh, I have hope for the future of Suriname, for the youth and young adults that we met, for their vocations and their careers, for every lawyer and teacher and doctor and artist um, for the hope that they have in the future of the place that they call home. I have so much hope for women in ministry, particularly for Black women in ministry, after seeing the 30-plus year ordained female pastors taking up space, asking difficult questions, and standing firm in their God-given identities as it relates to the church in Suriname. I have a hope that pastors and clergy throughout our world, not just in Suriname, will be paid a livable wage and what they are deserved. I have hope that our church, the Lutheran Church in America, can look more like the Lutheran Church in Suriname, can love our neighbors more like the Lutheran Church in Suriname, can be Christ to all people like the Lutheran Church in Suriname. And I have faith that when we mess up, which I know we will, that the same God that was present in these awe-inspiring, catch-your-breath, jump-in moments that we were having in Suriname is the same God that is present in flaw and in grace in our churches and in our world. And I know that that God is a God that is continually making all things. Amen. I so appreciate all that you have shared with us today. And so for my last question, I want to just help people be able uh, to get connected to the work of your congregation and the work that you're doing more broadly. Um, so can you share with us uh, how people can find out more about Jehu's Table in Brooklyn and the ministry that you're up to? Of course. You can find us at jehustable.org. Take a look at our website. Uh, find out a little bit about our mission in the world and in our little corner of God's Vineyard in East New York. 
Right now, we're partnering with the Campaign uh, for Hunger in creating a community garden and farm stand opportunity on our land at 2424 Linden Boulevard. If you're ever in New York City, take the train to Brooklyn and come and visit us. We worship on Sunday mornings in person and online via Zoom at 11 a.m., we love visitors. We love our siblings in Christ and getting to worship with one another. Part of my role as pastor in Christ Church is I also serve on the board of directors for Extraordinary Lutheran Ministries, one of two LGBTQIA plus organizations of the Lutheran Church. And uh, I would ask that you continue to keep us and all LGBTQIA plus persons, all marginalized folks in this church in deep prayer. Um, we can all use prayer, but we continue to fight uh, and to pray and to step towards a more equitable and just future. Jehu's Table uh, joins me in that work, and it is a blessing to be able to be church together. Yes, it is. And I, again, give thanks for your willingness to share your story. I celebrate your yes that you gave to Pastor Nick to go on this trip. Um, and I will hold all that you share today in my heart as I continue um, just to, to learn and to ponder and to wonder at all of the incredible ways that God is at work in the world. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for your work and your witness. We are better because of it. Thank you. For Black History Month by the Reverend Gia Starr Brown. Loving God in a nation that actively seeks to appropriate African Americans, we give you thanks for this gift of celebration that uplifts their beauty, contributions, and resilience. We pray for all African Americans who have been told and taught that their existence is anything less than holy, prophetic, and profound. We lament the rippled effects of these lies and pray for a holy undoing that leads to agency, empowerment, and transformation. As we strive to become more like Jesus, help us to honor each other by seeking fellowship and relationship over transaction, distance, and data. Spark in us a curiosity for history and a hunger for the truth about our ancestors, those on either side of slavery. Help us to honor their life and legacy by striving for a reality where all experience the beautiful freedom that every person deserves. Amen.
Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experienced God's love for you and the world in today's episode. There are so many powerful stories to be shared and celebrated during Black History Month and every day of the year, right? Because every day is a good day to celebrate Black joy, invention, strength, and normal people doing their everyday normal thing. Though I do hope that APT listeners are doing something in particular to celebrate Black History Month. If you haven't yet, or you don't know what you're doing, or you're looking for more stories like the one you just heard from Pastor Kelsey, allow me to recommend Talks at the Desk. This is a 30-minute video series that is going live each Wednesday during February. It features Pastor Nick, the Pastor Nick that Pastor Kelsey talked about here today, and how she visits Lutheran communities across the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. When I'm recording this outro here, we have already heard stories from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as well as the U.S. Virgin Islands. You can find them at youtube.com slash ELCA. I'll link them in the show notes. I also want to share the credit in a little bit more detail for the prayer that I read just a few moments ago. It comes from the 2022 annual report of the ELCA's African Descent Ministries. It's actually a prayer, petitions that were written for Kwanzaa, but I thought that it really spoke to the beauty and power of Black History Month as well. I've linked it in the show notes so you can read it and find other worship resources that are also there in that report. On a personal note, I want to say thank you for keeping my husband Nick in your prayers and our family as a whole. He's been having some back problems and we're still figuring out what next steps are for him. Things may continue to look a little bit different here on the podcast feed as well as on our social feeds over the next few weeks. Thank you so much for hanging in with us and supporting us as a family. It means the world. Thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and people like you. Being church together is so important. Thank you for all of those who give to financially support the ongoing work of APT. If you'd like to give a gift, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Even small one-time gifts of $5 or $10 or setting up a monthly recurring gift of that same amount, $5 or $10, can add up to make a big difference for APT. We know it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life and engage with APT online throughout the week. I hope you'll consider sharing today's episode as part of your Black History Month celebrations. Until next time, remember that God is with you and loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.